0: Welcome to Safety Talk. Personal safety expert Pete Canavan shares his insights and interviews experts who provide simple and effective tips, techniques, and technologies to keep you safe and secure both online and off. Here's Pete. Hello, and
1: welcome to Safety Talk. I am your host and personal safety expert, Pete Canavan. I'm a personal safety expert in both the self defense arena as well as cybersecurity and online safety. And my company provides a range of solutions through workshops and seminars and consulting as well. So to learn more, you can always visit PeteCanavan.com. Today's guest is making a big difference where we need it most, and that is with our children. This gentleman is a lawyer, he's a teacher, uh, he's worked as an EMT and as a paramedic, and now he's able to change even more lives as the executive director for the Institute of uh, Institute for Childhood Preparedness. Uh, And it's at this new, uh, I don't know how new, but it's here that he oversees work designed to enhance emergency preparedness, response, and recovery for early childhood professionals. Uh, As part of this work, Mr. Andy Rozak also serves as the Chief of Preparedness, Health, and Environment for the Region 2 Head Start Association. Uh, where he oversees disaster recovery efforts for the U.S. Caribbean, and they have staff in Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. And he just got back from, from there, so Puerto Rico, so we'll talk to him a little bit about that. Uh, and he's also an adjunct faculty member at Old Dominion University in Norfolk, Virginia, where he helps train the next generation of public health professionals in the Department of Community and Environmental Health. He's got a host of experience. He's served as the Senior Director for Emergency Preparedness at Child Care Aware of America. Uh, He was also a Senior Preparedness Advisor that supported Super Bowl 46, no small event, right, and uh, the Indianapolis 500. Uh, He's also a Senior Advisor for the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and on the Budget and Health Communities of the United States Senate. So before becoming an attorney, Andy had served as a firefighter, as a paramedic, uh, and as a hazardous materials technician in the Chicago area. And he's been recognized for his professional contributions from many organizations, uh, Firefighter of the Year, uh, Red Cross Everyday Hero Award. Uh, he's been featured as a Sesame Street hero, uh, which is perfect with his uh, dedication to children's preparedness. And so I want to personally thank him for his service. And everyone mm-hmm. can appreciate all that he has done for emergency preparedness around the country, as well as in our U.S. territory. So it's my distinct pleasure to welcome Mr. Andy Rozak to Safety Talk. Welcome, Andy. Thanks for being on the show. Hey. Thank you so much, Pete. It's great to be here. And thanks for all the great work you do
2: uh, putting this podcast down. It's really a great asset for our community.
1: Thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, You've, uh, I you know, I'm excited to have you on the show uh, since you've done so much. (laughs) Uh, It made such a difference in many lives in the, obviously the various responsibilities and positions that you held. So, of course, the first thing I've got to ask you is how on earth have you managed to do all this? (laughs)
2: Well, I don't sleep. I think that's the key to it, right? So, um, you know, I don't know. I'm just one of these kind of people that are really passionate, really driven, and uh, have just been able to to get so much done. And of course, not without a lot of great help and support structures along the way. So appreciate all my friends and and my family members in particular who put up with me and my crazy schedule. Uh, And of course, all the wonderful people I've met throughout the way. It's uh, a team effort, as you know, and as you say. Uh, repeatedly, so it, it's really a villager that that it takes to help everybody.
1: Sure, uh, and you know, I'm 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 like you, man. I don't sleep much. I'm up late, <laughs> you know, get up early, and and that's really how you get things done. You know, you got to make sure you obviously you have enough time to get enough sleep to, you know, to recharge the batteries and and tackle you know the next day's responsibilities. Uh, you do a lot of traveling, so it probably you know messes with your sleep schedule more than most. Especially when you go on, you know, coast to coast. You said you just got back from Las Vegas at uh, the show, the CES show there, right? And um, yeah, that's right. We were checking out some of the new baby tech and some of the disaster tech that's
2: coming out every year. It's uh, really excited to see all the new stuff coming out at, at CES.
1: Yeah, the um, ISC West show uh, I went to out in Vegas last April, and I was at the ISC East show in uh, in New York at the Javits Center back in uh, November. And I'll tell you, the, the security technologies and the stuff that comes out is just, it's mind-blowing, the, the, the way that they're able to harness the power of technology, and also how a lot of the solutions that companies have, they are building them with open sort of interfaces and with APIs that can be accessed with other vendors you know, solutions. And so they're able to more easily integrate stuff together, which is fantastic because, you know, if you got three different things, you don't want to work with three different interfaces, right? You want to see if you can manage it all together because uh, it's three things to learn and three things that can go wrong, and, you know, and as, as that multiplies as you know, a company gets bigger or you add more capabilities that, uh, that obviously becomes uh, quite a bear to manage that. So
2: yeah. And it's, it's been really great to just see the price points dropping where some of this technology is now actually, obtainable by the average everyday citizen and and you know one of the biggest displays at CES this year was really all about solar power and backup power and generators and, and all this kind of stuff which of course with all the disasters happening uh, is really important work especially when you think about you know Puerto Rico who didn't have power for nine months. Um, so there was actually a really big display by Yeti the folks that we love that make all the coolers and all that kind of stuff Uh, They're getting into the solar power game and the generator game, which I thought was kind of interesting Uh, and had a really nice um, line, not only of battery backup, but of solar panels that could help you charge those uh, for, you know, off the grid applications.
1: Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So that's interesting. No idea. That's why we go to the shows, right? (laughs) That's why you learn about (laughs) it. There's so much out there. Now one thing, um, and and I'll start off with this, uh, that I usually, uh, I ask my guests is to come up, uh, and it's not an easy question, but I ask them to come up with a one sentence that describes the problem that you or the Institute solves in society, in business, or in the world at large. And so it's a heavy question uh, that, you know, kind of really forces you to sort of summarize that. So could you do that for me in one, try to do it in one sense. Um, what it is that the, um, the, uh, the Institute, I guess is what we would focus on here. Um, the, uh, the, you know, how, how is it that they are changing the world? What is it that they, you know, that's sort of my question for you there.
2: Gotcha. So yeah, not an easy task, but um, basically, you know, I I started the institute to focus on one thing, and that is to help early childhood professionals prepare for, respond to, and recover from disasters. Uh, They are in charge of our most vulnerable. They are in charge of our future, (laughs) and oftentimes, you know, they get neglected in this emergency preparedness realm. Uh, They are operating outside the guidelines of your traditional public school system, or what you'd consider formal education years. But when you think about the impact, and study after study keeps coming out and keeps showing the magnificent impact that those years from zero to five have in the rest of our lives. Those those years zero to five are really going to dictate everything about you for the rest of your life. How you're going to do in your job, how you're going to do in your marriage, how much money you're going to make, if you're going to graduate high school, if you're going to go to college, if you're going to end up in jail. All these things are really now being traced back to those zero to five years. So, you know, it's really unfair. We don't expect early childhood providers or professionals or teachers to be emergency preparedness experts. But my gosh, when you have a population that's, you know, many times nonverbal, limited mobility, unable to care for itself, uh, these are some of the most important folks that that we have to keep in mind and, and prepare and plan for. So, you know, you kind of get the bookends, right? You get the very young and you get the very old. Right. And and sadly, a lot of our preparedness efforts, as you are well aware, uh, seem to neglect that very vulnerable population from the old to the young. So that's why we founded the Institute. That's what we do every single day. Uh, We think it's a very important mission. And we're very happy to be, um, gosh, one of the only players in this space. I, I would venture to say we're one of the leading players in this space. Uh, just with our reach and, and the amount of good we've been able to do in the the short time the institute has been has uh, been around,
1: yeah, you bring up a really good point uh you know people tend to focus on you know what do you do in emergency with your family and your business and and things of that nature, but the ones that need it most are as you said, sort of the bookends right the the very very young and and the elderly you know the the people that are can't you know prepare for themselves they can't uh you know move out of the way or they can't protect themselves, right? They're very vulnerable. And so it's our responsibility as those that are in the middle to do what we can to make sure that they are prepared, that they are educated, that they know what to do, even if they don't, they're not able to do it themselves, right? At least they know, hey, I should be doing X, Y, and Z when this happens. I should be doing, you know, A, B, and C when that happens and and just kind of give them that information and education. And with children, You know, my wife's a school teacher. She teaches second grade. And uh, she deals with a similar sort of issue on an almost daily basis because she teaches in a city that has become, uh, there are a lot of elements coming into the district that are making her job challenging. Okay, I guess that's the best way I can put it. And there are children that are, that have problems, that are disturbed, that, you know, maybe should be medicated that aren't, that have trouble coping. You know, we're talking uh, second graders. So these are kids that are, you know, maybe seven years old. And when they have a meltdown, they can get violent. And to me, it blows my mind because she actually has an evacuation drill for the kids in her class when one of their classmates kind of decides to have a fit. So she's like, you know what, everybody, that's it, evacuate. All the kids get up, they go to the to the door, and they get away from the child, and then she'll have to call down the office, they'll have to bring somebody or multiple people down to, to restrain them or to deal with them or to get them out of the room. And it's like, you know, that didn't just happen overnight. It didn't happen because they had a bad day that day uh, or that morning, right? It happened because the upbringing. You know, like you said, that zero to five – Things are happening in that child's mind, their development emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, right? The absence or the presence of religion, the absence of presence of good role models in their parents. Uh, and then, you know, when you have, thank God there's some good teachers out there. And my wife's an incredible teacher. She does amazing things. But when you've got 30 kids and 11 of them are emotional or, uh, uh, or uh, learning support, how are you supposed to teach? You know, I mean, the, the problem came way before that. And so it's a, it's a responsibility that so many of us have. And unfortunately people like teachers are on the front lines and they are the ones that are dealing with things that they never had to. And I know that's something that, you know, you talk about is, is educating these early childhood professionals essentially, right?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I'd say uh, again, it's, it's, a requirement that we place on teachers. I don't know that it's fully appreciated when you decide to get into the area of teaching. You feel like you're going to be in the classroom and, and doing curriculum and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but you know, looking at the childcare sector in particular, you know, kids on average spend about 36 hours a week in the care of a childcare provider. So if something goes wrong, the odds are pretty good that they're not going to be with their parents, especially if it's a normal Monday, you know, through Friday. Right. Now, they're going to be outside of the home. They're going to be in the care of someone else. And that place is just a, an awesome responsibility on uh, the teachers and early childhood folks. Um, I mean, all you have to do is think back to Katrina, where we had over 5,000 kids that were separated from their parents. I mean, that, that's, that's scary, almost unimaginable. And, and the last one took almost nine months to get reunited with their parents. Wow. Because it was a situation where, the, the child didn't know their their name. The child didn't know their parents' name. Uh, it sounds like there was some confusion about different last names between the mom and the dad and oh, yeah. the child. So, you know, you can see how these things compound. And, and can you imagine as a young child being separated from your parents for almost nine months and the impact it's going to have on you? I, I, it's, it's really astounding. And, um, you know, we have to work every day to make sure that these systems are in place, that the policies and procedures are in place, and that we're exercising things. Uh, to make sure we know what to do in case of disaster so that that this kind of stuff doesn't happen ever again.
1: Right. I I hear you. So how, Andy, how did you get started in the safety and security industry?
2: Well, you know, again, back uh, years ago when I was a firefighter paramedic, I I started dealing with these issues um, on the south side of Chicago and and just, you know, loved what I did as a firefighter and a paramedic, one of the best jobs I've ever had. Uh, Interestingly, on my days off, you know, we worked 24 on, 48 off. I actually was a substitute teacher. So I uh-huh. very much appreciate everything that your wife is going through. And, uh, you know, as a substitute, that's not an easy thing, because the kids know that you're only going to be there for a day or two, and then they probably won't see you again. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I've just been in this space for, you know, the last, uh, gosh, about 20 years now. And uh, I've, I've just loved every minute of it. I, I see the need out there. And as you kind of mentioned in my bio, I've got the opportunity to work with a lot of great people. And a lot of very interesting things and uh, the, the childhood stuff came about gosh about five or six years ago i was working for the uh for the, the national association of county and city health officials so really focusing on public health pandemic preparedness environmental health uh, all these issues uh, which was fantastic working with the, the many thousands of health departments throughout the united states and after i left that job i got offered a job to come and stand up a new office Um, focused on early childhood and preparedness, which was a, you know, quite honestly, it's still kind of an emerging field. Again, there's not a lot of folks that are in this space looking at these issues. Um, So that was very exciting. I did that for a couple of years, I guess three years, and then I decided to to go out and and start the Institute, um, trying to take a little bit more control over, you know, what our offerings are going to be, what our messaging was going to be, and really making sure that we were able to get this information out to the public. And it's been so rewarding. Like you said, I, I've gotten to work with some fantastic people, uh, folks at you know Walt Disney Corporation and Sesame Street and, and Bright Horizons and uh, Kaplan and, and just all these wonderful organizations throughout the country that uh, that work with kids every day. And uh, it's really, really rewarding, to be honest. We go in and teach classes. We, we go on site. We do inspections. We do safety audits, uh, all this kind of stuff. And, and to see the way that when we walk in, some of the um, some of the power, some of the, the fear, I guess, that people have, some of the anxiety and fear. And we're, you know, we're teaching active shooter courses, we're doing disaster courses, all this stuff. But then by the end of the course, to see just how empowered everybody is. You know, I didn't think when I woke up today, I have had people say I didn't even want to come to this class because I didn't want to think about these topics. Or I didn't, I was scared, I didn't know what I was gonna do. But then by the end of the day, they come and say, you know, thank you so much. We are so empowered, we learned so much during the training. Uh, we didn't think we could do this, but you've really shown us how to do it. And, and, Pete, you know, the challenge is unique. I mean, if you've seen one college, one university, one church, you, you've kind of seen them all. Uh, but the way that uh, child care and, and early childhood education operates, I mean, we're spread out in so many different venues. You've got Head Starts and Early Head Starts, family child care, which is in someone's home, uh, child care centers, which are big, you know, centers that may have hundreds of kids there, uh, on-site child care for, uh, you know, employers. Uh, so you really you 've seen one and you 've only seen one, so the environment and the classrooms that they 're in are so unique uh, that it 's really nice to go and be able to visit them in their in their natural environment, and really brainstorm and work on solutions with them
1: you know and and what you said uh, about the uh, you know training people and, and having them not really think about it or you know they don 't want to think about it because it it could be a painful topic and as you 're talking, I was kind of bouncing over to your website to show people that you know, the, the training is so important to have. And, uh, you know, on on multiple episodes, we've talked about this, but you know, it really has to be mentioned over and over. And, and that is people never think that there's going to be a problem that they're going to have to deal with. They think it's going to be, it's going to happen to somebody else. It's not going to happen to me. That happens in another country or that happens in another city, whatever that happens to be, whether it's a, Uh, a natural disaster, like a fire or a flood or a hurricane or a tornado or whatnot. Um, Or you've got a problem with, um, you know, God forbid, an active shooter or or some sort of much, you know, a human-based threat, right? Uh, And so, even from things like how to use a fire extinguisher, as as you show, you know, on the site, to how to deal with active shooters uh, and other types of emergency preparedness, you're not being paranoid. You're not being freaked out. You're being prepared. And my, one of my, my things that I say all the time is the, t- the time to prepare is before the need arises. Because once the need arises to, to have the knowledge to do something, if you don't have that knowledge, it's too late. So you've got to prepare ahead of time. And when you're prepared, then you are much more at ease when there's a situation because you know what to do, right? When we don't know what to do in a given situation, that's where we, we become afraid, we become freaked out, we become scared, we become uneasy and nervous and, you know, all of these negative emotions begin to sit in and, and they eat us up because then we, can, we freeze, right? Because, oh my God, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I don't know. But if you have the training, it's not that you're being paranoid, it's you're preparing so that when something happens, it's like, okay, I've been here before, Right. I know what to do, I can, you know, I know how to use this fire extinguisher, I know how to take it and pull the pin and aid it with the base of the fire and, and, you know, and you know the basics because if people don't know the basics, even like taking that as an example and they start spraying the flames and not touching the base of the fire, it's not gonna go out and then they're gonna get more freaked out and now the fire starts to spread and now the situation just compounds and gets worse and worse. And so I really applaud what you're doing by focusing on the people that are caring for children. And making sure that they have some skills and some knowledge and some experience with different situations that, hey, we all hope are never gonna happen, right? But the bottom line is they will happen. You know, it's not if, it's when. They will happen. And you have to change your mindset and think about it like that. It's like, okay, I know one of these days is gonna be a fire, right? Or I know one of these days is gonna be an active shooter, or I know one of these days is gonna be a whatever, fill in the blank. And so when you change your mindset and think about it that way, it becomes an inevitability that I think really makes the training that much better because you're approaching it as if it's an inevitability, not as why do I have to learn this? I'm never going to have to put out a fire. Right. And I'm not sure if that's absolutely. No,
2: I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I I don't want someone to learn how to use a fire extinguisher while the building is on fire. (laughs) If that's your plan, you've already failed. Right. So yeah. Um, you know, that's kind of how we came up with the tagline. Don't be scared, be prepared. Uh, don't let these things, you know, scare you and, and cause you not to be able to take action. We want you to think about these things. We want you to take action. We we don't want you to freeze and be in panic or denial when these things happen. And the more and more, you know, emergencies and, and disasters and all that stuff I'm I'm around, I'm really a firm believer that in order to make this process work, you can't magically think that you're going to stand up some brand new system, some brand new policy, some brand new procedure in the middle of a disaster. Right. If that's your plan is to stand up something brand new that you don't do very often, then I'm telling you right now, you're going to have a second disaster. The yeah. best way that you can do these things is to integrate them into your daily, everyday everyday lives.
1: If you even survive so, that first disaster. <laughs> right. Well, that's true. You know, so a good
2: example, a lot of places now have walkie talkies. Mm-hmm. And gosh, as a fireman, and, I'm, and from your experience, like these walkie talkies are not all that easy to work. If you don't know what you're doing, I mean, how many times do we hear the police or the fire department key up and they're talking over each other and they don't get a signal or they're cutting each other off. Uh, you know, it, it takes a little bit of a science to be a good radio communicator. Mm-hmm. So if you think because you just went out and bought walkie talkies for your staff that you're now prepared well, I'm telling you that that's not true. You need to train poll. You need to know how to turn the radio on. You need to make sure you're on the, the same channel as everybody. You need to know how to press the button and wait for a second. So then you can talk and make your message. So what I say is, hey, you, you spent the money. You've got these walkie-talkies. Let's make sure people use them. And it was really cool. A couple months ago, we were in a program, and every morning they do morning announcements. I said, you know what we're going to do for the next week is every day we're going to do the morning announcements on the walkie-talkies and that way every morning you have an opportunity to practice and by the way it's going to go from classroom to classroom so you know teacher one's going to do it today teacher two tomorrow teacher three the next day that way everybody has a chance to get on there key up the radio talk into it make sure everybody can hear your message and by the way if that's how you're doing your morning announcements every day and you're in your classroom and you don't hear the morning announcement well then that should be a bell saying hmm i didn't hear the morning announcement my radio must not be on the right channel or the battery might be dead or maybe the volume's not up. So, you know, it's simple things like that, Pete, that doesn't cost any money, but makes you a heck of a lot more prepared and and makes you all the more stronger if you do need to use these systems in times of a disaster.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, it amazes me because I, I see that where the, the business or the school or whatever organization it happens to be, they spend the money on the technology or they buy, the fire extinguishers or the walkie talkies or whatever the tools are that they've decided on purchasing to help, you know, in a, in a situation. Right. Uh, but they're not getting the proper training on it. And so really they've got this great whatever and nobody knows how to use it. Well, what the heck good is that? You just took good money and threw it after bad. You, you might as well not have even purchased it and, and just threw up your hands. Right. It's like you, you've gone halfway. You know, it's like, okay, we got this great thing, but not quite sure how to use it. Or maybe you do know how to use it, but not maybe to its fullest potential that would allow you to really get the most bang for your buck out of that investment in that piece of equipment or technology or software or whatever it happens to be. And uh, and it's something that is only going to, you know, benefit you in the, in the long term and practice, of course, you know, just like in the military, right? They, soldiers just don't, you know, Go to basic training. And they say, "Here's your gun. There's a target, and have at it." You know, and we'll call you when we need you. It doesn't work that way, right? You have to you go through training and situations. And like you mentioned, you have policies and you have procedures and you have checklists and you have all of these things that are designed to help an organization, whether it's a childcare facility or a business or a conference planner or whatever, a home even, right? Uh, on what the things are that you need to do in the event of a problem. And uh, it's it's a great thing when people use it, and it's an absolutely horrible, disappointing thing when they don't. And the worst part is when there is some sort of technology or tool in place that could have prevented a problem or reduced the impact of an event and it wasn't used or it wasn't used properly that has got to drive somebody like you absolutely out of your mind, right?
2: Yeah. You know, I, early on, gosh, even back in law school, I I did a lot of, a lot of writing on um, the legal, the legalities of automated external defibrillators. Uh, This was, you know, back in the early two thousands when these things were really starting to be put out in mass mass and, and, you know, some of these airports were having wild success rates. I mean, 85%, 90% success rates. And, um, I would walk through airports all the time, and I would see AEDs placed strategically every, you know, so hundred, several, several hundred feet or meters, whatever. And you know, some of them, and I would actually see them. be writing on the AED that would say, "For use by trained professional only." And I would—I actually wrote several letters to airport authorities saying, like, you know, you put these AEDs out there for the general public to use, and and by basically putting that note on there, it says "for use by trained professionals only." You're kind of defeating the purpose and by the way, the good Samaritan laws in your state say X, y and Z, so people can be covered if they right. use these devices. Um, but hundred percent your point. So you know somebody somewhere pushing some some paper up in an office, thought it was a good decision, thought it was a feel-good move, spent all this money and all this investment to put it out there. but then basically thwarted the effort by putting that simple language on there. Uh, that you know, these are intended for only for professional rescuers, which is clearly not the case. We've been teaching AEDs and, and CPR classes now for decades. I mean,
1: yeah, so, they're you know. easy. They actually walk you through <laughs> it when you open it up. It says, "Okay, peel the stuff off the paddle, place, it, make sure that you have skin contact, place one paddle here." I mean, they do. They basically these new ones they walk you through how to do it, and they won't even discharge if it detects a heartbeat so they're kind yeah, of and foolproof.
2: And this is really a time, where, you know, where time is of the essence. I mean, if you need an AED, it's not because you're having a good day. We need to get that <laughs> heart restarted. We need to get blood flowing. We don't want brain death to occur. So the quicker you can do it, I mean, that's why the AEDs are out there to begin with, because, you know, EMS is great, but we can't be everywhere. Uh, and, you know, some big cities, it's not uncommon to have a, you know, seven, eight minute response time. And, look, I don't want my brain sitting there and dying for seven or eight minutes. I want you to get that AED in the first, you know, minute or so and get me right. back up and going. So um, exactly. so I think there's a little disconnect there. You know, I, I think we've been somewhat successful raising awareness on these issues. But, you know, sadly, we see policies uh, that are made every day by people that have never done the job or have never experienced this or don't really understand the actual purpose of why the, the legislation or the, the policy was created to begin with. So, uh, that's something that we're always fighting against. Uh, so I, I think it's a very valid point. Technology is great. Technology can be our friend, but it's not the end-all answer. It's the same thing after 9-11. We spent literally millions and billions of dollars on the strategic national stockpile and all these medical caches and all these medical countermeasures and all these caches all over medical supplies all over the country. And you know a lot of stuff just sat there, and, and now a lot of the stuff has expired. And you know, instead of maybe taking that money and investing in people that could actually have critical thinking and help you know advance some of these goals and objectives, um, you know, we chose to invest in a lot of stuff. And stuff is good; stuff will get you so far. But without the people to actually use the stuff and know how to use the stuff, um, we're not going to ever achieve our, our fullest potential.
1: Right. That's so true. So you have um, on the on the site. I'm going to pull it up uh, for those of our viewers on uh, on the video side of things uh, can see it, but if not, uh, the people listening to a podcast can go to the website childhoodpreparedness.org and see the information here. But uh, maybe you just tell us a little bit, I'm going to pull this up here, the, the different programs that you have, because you have, uh, I'm sure you know not have everything on here, but uh, you have different programs here. You have the active violence and threat training, emergency preparedness. Can you tell us a little bit about the various programs uh, that you guys have designed specifically for the early education professionals.
2: Absolutely. So we are a, we're a full service provider. We're everything from, you know, planning to preparedness, to response to recovery. Uh, Our core offerings, the ones we get asked to teach the most are our active shooter course. Uh, This one is most impactful when we can come and, and teach this in your location. Uh, so we start off with a little bit of lecture, a little discussion, we review some prior mass shootings that have happened, what's went well, what hasn't worked so well, and start thinking about those lessons. We also, you know, talk about the nuances, the challenges of being an early childhood professional, caring for a two-month-old. A lot different caring for a two-month-old than it is, you know, in an office building with a, a 25-year-old. So we talk about those differences, we talk about how that's going to impact our, our plan and our response. Uh, and then we transition from the, the classroom portion of that actually to a hands-on portion. And, you know, Pete, there's been a whole bunch of folks that have been doing this, these hands-on exercises and trainings throughout the country. Uh, a lot of them, in my opinion, have, have done it the wrong way. Uh, we create a calm environment. We create an environment where adults can learn. We're not simulating gunfire. We're not shooting people with pellet guns. We're not causing any unneeded stress. This topic is stressful enough for a lot of people. And for a basic 100 level course, we need to make sure people get the foundations right. So we put the teachers in their classrooms, and then we run them through some different scenarios. What would you do in this scenario? We try it, we see what would work, we see what doesn't work so well, and then we readjust and try it again. So the active shooter course is by far one of our most popular offerings. We've taught it in 18 states, uh, nine tribal uh, Native American nations, And uh, gosh, over 16,000 early childhood professionals have taken our course so far. Wow. Um, So very excited about that. Uh, We also do a standard emergency preparedness course. All 50 states and the territories have emergency preparedness requirements for early childhood. Uh, We help you develop your plan. We show you what to think about your plan. We help you develop your exercises. And we talk about the threats you may face and how those may impact your business. So that's a very popular one. Uh, The fire safety and fire extinguisher training one is and quite honestly, that's one. That's a lot of fun. It's it's really good. The folks like it for Instagram purposes. They're always posting pictures about it. <laughs> uh, but the same thing. We'll come in and do a classroom. We'll we'll teach you about fire safety. I'll I'll walk through a fire inspection with you, so you know what the fire department's looking for and how to stay safe. Uh, and then we transition to outside where we actually um, we make some real live fires and let you go at it with a fire extinguisher. Uh, it's amazing to me how many folks have never actually discharged an extinguisher. And um, I think it's really important. Again, I don't want you learning how to do that when the building's on fire. So right. uh, that one's a lot of fun. People really enjoy that one. Uh, we also had a whole bunch of conferences. We'll be up at the Wisconsin Head Start Association uh, next month in, in February. We'll be down in the uh, Florida Head Start Association one in, um, in March. So we traveled across the country just trying to spread the word, trying to get the, the news and information out. We're very excited to be launching an online platform in 2020. So we'll be taking a lot of our courses and and putting them online uh, so folks can sit through a basic emergency preparedness course or a basic active shooter course. Uh, Some more stuff's coming out on on that in the near future. And we also have uh, three books uh, coming out. So the first book is going to be out uh, in March. Uh, That's Preschool Preparedness for an Active Shooter. Uh, That'll talk about the different preparedness things from a, a wide variety of situations. You know, when I talk about these issues, it's not just, okay, the gunman enters the building and that's where we start. You know, we start back several steps about site safety. What can we do today to harden our targets, right? That's a big keyword that Mm -hmm. we've been hearing. Um, You can't go to a professional sporting event nowadays without going through a metal detector. Sadly, the same is not true with our our schools and especially with our child care programs. So how do we harden those targets? How do we make it less likely for a a, a criminal to come target you? And it's simple things. Child care doesn't have a lot of money. I know that. Uh, So these are all things that we uh, have designed that are very simple to do, easy to implement and cost effective. Um, So I think the the online course
1: component will be a great addition um, because they are the sort of thing where people can take it at their, you know, convenience, right? They don't have to show up for a course and a training on a certain day at a certain time because, you know, life gets in the way of everybody from time to time, right? So you can, you can sign up, you can take it, take as long as you need with it and go back and take it again, (laughs) right? You can review material you can't do that in a live environment. You can't hit rewind on the instructor, right? He just that doesn't work. So, but an online course, you can, and so it lets you go back and uh, review information you want to, you know, really get a, a better grasp on by by listening to to it over and over again, and uh, and so that's yeah. a that's a really good, I think, uh, area to to continue to pursue because, like you said, the childcare. Industry doesn't necessarily maybe have a whole lot of money, like you know maybe large corporations do to spend on training and to send you know a hundred people to some weekend retreat that costs you know five grand a person or something. I mean you know they don't have that kind of money, so this is uh, this is a perfect way to get a lot of information out in front of people in a format that uh, that's that's friendly and convenient and cost effective.
2: Absolutely. And the other thing that we really ch- struggle with, the challenge is we have about 40% annual turnover in early childhood. Wow. So I've had situations where I'll go out in January and teach a course. And by March, they are saying, hey, all of our senior leadership has left. Can you come back out and, and teach a course again? And, you know, so I'm trying to fill that void. I'm trying to, you know, basically figure out a way to continue the education, make sure you're when you're onboarding folks, to get this vital information, again, being cost effective. So. We're going to set up some subscription models. We're going to set up some models where you can come out and, you know, get maybe one live training session in the in the spring and another one in the fall and then access to the online modules in between uh, that way to help fill that gap. Um, so we're, we're working on all that stuff. All that will be out soon and uh, we're really excited about that. Our plan is to drop a new online course every other month. So they'll cover a wide variety of topics. As you mentioned, they'll be available on demand. So on the weekends, at night, whenever it's convenient for you, you can take those courses. And uh, the nice thing about doing it that way is we'll be able to keep up with all the, uh, the recent developments. You know, we're, right now we're tracking that bad new virus uh, that's coming out of China. And uh, we saw the first case now yesterday uh, being spread here in the United States. It's oh, really? Stuff.
1: I missed that. Yeah,
2: up in Washington state. And, um, and this, the scary thing is here, you know, health officials are trying to do their best to screen people. Uh, but this particular virus doesn't show signs and symptoms um, in the early stages. So you may be walking around and be infected and and have this thing and not show any different, you know, temperature rises or coughing or sneezing. Um, So obviously health officials are trying to figure out more about what this is, what's being caused, how we're going to prevent the transmission. But it's looking like now it it is spreading between, you know, person to person and person to caregiver. So to have this online platform and be available to, you know, at a moment's notice, put out a course that talks about, you know, new viruses, new and emerging threats active shooter situations that have happened. You know, we study every single one that happens. And on our blog and on our Facebook page, we write a little synopsis about what's new or what's different or how do we need to adjust our way of thinking. Uh, The sad thing, as you know, is just as we're planning and preparing and training to prevent these attacks, on the other side, we've got some, some troubled individuals that are examining past incidents to see what's worked well and hasn't worked well. Uh, and that way, they can use this against us, right? Here's one that's posted on the London Bridge terror attack. Uh, that yeah, I just pull that up. So, yeah, so you know, it's it's just a matter of continual learning. We have to be lifetime learners on this stuff and make sure we're staying uh, up to date with the latest and greatest information that uh, that's available.
1: Yeah, that's a and that's an interesting point too. You bring up that when you've got a new threat right? Something like this new virus that so many people are thinking, what in the world is this? You know, I personally, all I did was just, you know, I read a, a brief article the other day in the paper about it. Didn't teach me anything you know what I mean? Didn't really learn anything from it other than there's some new virus and it's bad. <laughs> right. So, uh, by being able to, you know, to put out a, a quick, uh, you know, course, you know, something that maybe, you know, half an hour, an hour, just say, Hey, look, you know, this is what we know so far this is how these sorts of things can spread. Here's how you can, you know, protect yourself and your family to keep yourself healthier, go over some, you know, some, some of the hygiene tips, maybe some additional measures that people can do, like, hey, make sure you're keeping, you know, that antibacterial, you know, bottle, you know, one in your purse, one in your car, one in your office, one, you know, et cetera, et cetera, one in your gym bag, right? And, and, you know, just little tips like that, that, You know, people say, oh, yeah, you know, I never thought about throwing in my gym bag, right? So now maybe they throw it in the gym bag. So when they're done working out at the gym, boom, they immediately, you know, clean themselves up. uh, You know, maybe take a shower, you know, but if you don't have a chance to take a shower before you go home, at least you're, you know, maybe cleaning your hands because, hey, there's a lot of people touching that equipment in the gym. God forbid somebody's got this virus or some other, you know, just even a sickness or flu or something like that. We don't want to get sick, right? I mean, sick time is downtime and uh, nobody likes feeling bad. Nobody likes feeling, you know, sick and nobody wants to get a virus that can kill them either. So, you know, these things, it, it's not a joke. It's uh, its serious health stuff and serious safety. And I, again, I really am impressed with the focus on children because they are, as I started out the show saying, the the most important and vulnerable segment of the population because, you know, a one-year-old, a two-year-old, they can't take care of themselves. They're helpless. They are, you know, sort of at the, at the, the mercy of whoever is their caregiver, whether it's the parents or the child care professional or a grandparent or whoever it is. Um, you know, these people have to know what can, you know, what are the best practices for, for protecting and keeping those safe that are in their care. So well, that's, uh, and you, so you also said uh, you've got some books coming out and uh, the top of the show before you we went live here, you were showing me, I guess you got a, the first one is coming out very soon there. You want to pop that cover up. It's
2: uh yeah, there it is.
1: It's it called There, preschool preparedness for an active shooter. There you go. Features practices designed for young children. Perfect. Perfect. Wish you a lot of luck and success with that. The uh, I'm sure you'll have a lot of people that are interested in, in getting that. Uh, how are you You uh, looking to partner with different organizations to try to get that into the masses as quickly as possible?
2: Well, we have a really phenomenal publisher, uh, Griffin House, who's uh, affiliated with Kaplan. So they're going to be uh, pushing that out for us. We'll be touring the country at many different uh, child care shows and early childhood locations. Awesome. Uh, I think we're also going to plan for a webinar coming up, uh, I think, in March to, to talk about uh, a little bit of the book and some of the content. So. Much more to come on that. Hopefully, folks will, will follow us on social media. We're always posting new information. Uh, same thing with our daily work. You know, we have staff down in the, the Caribbean, in Puerto Rico, and the Virgin Islands. And we've been there since the hurricanes. Uh, we've been helping early child care recover and, and rebuild and, and think about things in a different way. Uh, we're very happy to have a partnership with the Puerto Rico Department of Health and the U.S. Virgin Islands Department of Health. Uh, so they, how did uh, the they, how do they respond
1: yeah. when you show up? And, and because they're probably used to dealing with like FEMA or, you know, some of the big organizations that are looking at things as a whole. I'm sure they're very appreciative when they have, you know, people from your organization that are there specifically looking to help them with the, the child and the children that are in their care that are affected. Right. I would think. Yeah,
2: yeah absolutely. And, and we do uh, in partnership with the Region 2 Head Start Association, which is a great organization that serves New York, New Jersey, Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. Um, so, you know, these are long term sustainable relationships that are there prior to the hurricanes or earthquakes, and of course, will be there after. Uh, in fact, the Region 2 Head Start Association, through their network, was able to deliver over $5 million in product uh, down to the islands after the hurricanes. And awesome. as we've seen in the recent headlines, a lot of the, the relief, a lot of the supplies that were being headed to the islands, they, they sadly never made it out to the people. I mean, there was just that huge story about the, the warehouse in Ponce that had just thousands and thousands of supplies, baby food, and diapers, and water, and formula, and cops. And, and, and sadly, you know, it, we saw a lot of that after the, uh, the hurricane. So through the Head Start network, which, you know, is an income-based program, it's a federally funded program that serves uh, low-income families. Mm-hmm. These are families that are already struggling to make it day-to-day. And of course, after disasters, all those issues get compounded. Uh, you know, figuring out access to fresh food and, and water and, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it's a great association, uh, it's a, you know, it's one of the nonprofits that are out there just to look after the interest of all the Head Start programs. So uh, that's been really a, a great relationship. We're very proud of that one. And I will say that the work that we're doing is, is funded in part by some of the hurricane supplemental funding uh, that we we're very fortunate to get through our partners at the National Environmental Health Association. Uh, So this was based on a need. So the Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands Health Department actually recognized these as gaps and as needs. And uh, we were very lucky to be uh, selected as as one of the partners to help fill that that gap in need. So that work is ongoing. That work continues. It's been a little complicated with all the uh, challenges we've faced. I mean, we've had new governors in both territories since we've started. Uh, Last week, uh, well, actually since December 28th, we've had earthquakes. We had over actually had almost 500 earthquakes there last week when I was there. Wow. Um, these challenges continue. And, and, Pete, I just can't say enough about the the ongoing mental health trauma that's occurring to, to folks down there. Um, I mean, if you can't even sleep in your own house and you've been out on the street since uh, December 28th, and here it is almost January, 20, January 22nd today, it's almost a month sleeping outside in a tent, with daily earthquakes, not knowing when the next one's going to be, not knowing if your house is going to collapse. Um, all the schools, all the childcare, all the head starts have been shut down. Uh, because as soon as you go in and assess a building, there's, all, there's another earthquake. And then the process has to start over again. Right. Which, uh, middle school down in the that, that just collapsed. And thank God. I mean, someone is looking out for us. I, I truly believe that with all the work I've done and all the horrible things I've seen, um, you know, that earthquake struck at 4:30 in the morning. And the, the school collapsed. There's some, there's some pictures on our Facebook page. Or I can get you some if you want to insert them here in the podcast. But um, can you imagine if that earthquake would have happened at one o'clock? And this was right after the holidays. This was the you know one of the days that school was set to resume. Right. Uh, consequences would have just been dire. But the fact that only one person has died in those you know horrific earthquakes so far, it, it, it's really amazing. Quite honestly.
1: Uh, that sure. is amazing. Especially, you I mean, know. given <laughs> no pun intended, the magnitude of what's happening. I mean, it's uh, absolutely the uh, there's been. I mean, you said there's been 500 varying intensities since in what? Just the last month?
2: No, the last week. That's the last just the last week.
1: week. Yeah,
2: that's you know, yeah, that I can't you're even. You're not imagine. hearing on the mainstream the mainstream news isn't covering this because you know we've moved on to uh, you know impeachments and other topics of the day. Um, but you know, there's as we sit sick. here today, there's it's about sick that things people like that, that are in a tent. sick
1: that the impeachment and crap like that dominates the news cycle, when you've got things like people dying and living in this really scary uncertainty. As you said, living outside, living in a tent, not able to go back in their home, wondering when these shocks are going to stop. When is life ever? Is it ever? going to go back to some, you know, semblance of normalcy. And it's a, it's sad because the, not enough attention is being, you know, focused on that. But, you know, thank goodness there are organizations like the Institute for Childhood Preparedness that are doing what they can. And when you're doing what you can to to help people because they are vulnerable, they are in need of assistance. And that's uh, and really, you know, it's something that we all have Really have a responsibility. I feel to do what we can for those that are unable to care for themselves, whether it's the very very young or the very very old. So, if people and you know we're, we're flying through our hour here, Andy, <laughs> uh, if uh, if people are interested in learning more about you or the institute, um, they can obviously go to the website I mentioned before, which is uh, childhoodpreparedness.org. Uh, you guys, as I was shown throughout here, uh, for those watching could see, for those that are listening, you've got information, you got the event listings, uh, the blog, people can uh, request a training from the site itself. Uh, what about social media? Where can our uh, listeners find you?
2: Very, very active on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, all those wonderful things, uh, YouTube. Uh, Facebook is probably the easiest way. It's uh, facebook.com childprepared one word, Child Prepared. And that's our hashtag on, uh, on, or our username on Twitter, at ChildPrepared. Uh, and then on Instagram, you can just search Institute for Childhood Preparedness and that'll pop right up. All those are, are linkable too off our, our main website, childhoodpreparedness.org. Uh, so yeah, we'd encourage you to take a look and see what we're doing, follow along with the updates. We're, uh, I gotta tell you, our team is very good about posting updates, trying to raise awareness of what's actually happening, how this is impacting families and, and children in particular. Uh, And uh, and just trying to get the message out there, because, you know, as you mentioned, it's it's not uh, preparedness and disaster response and all, it's not glorious work. It gets, you know, a little bit of time in the media when the event first happens, but, you know, no one's really covering what happens long term with the the mental health impacts and the the trauma that occur, you know, over two years after the earthquakes and life is not, uh, or two years after the hurricanes, I'm sorry. Mm. And life is not able to, to return to normal for a lot of
1: folks. And how quickly we forget, right? Like you said, I mean, so quickly the yeah. news will shift to the next, you know, story, whatever it happens to be. And uh, the things that are ongoing, like this, I mean, two years after hurricane, you're still dealing with stuff. Uh, and it's, you know, it's been out of the news for how long, right? I mean, maybe there'll be a small little, you know, note somewhere in, in, a, in a section of a paper if there's something of significance, but it's not front page news anymore. and. Uh, and so that's, that's scary stuff. Do you have uh, any last thoughts for our audience? <laughs> well, I
2: just really appreciate the time to, to talk about these issues today. I appreciate the attention that uh, that your podcast brings to all these different topics and issues uh, and having the space to, you know, converse like this in a, a kind of a long format as opposed to just a 20 second soundbite here and there that uh, obviously doesn't do these topics justice. So, Thank you for everybody that's listening and and supporting the the podcast. And, of course, thank you for continuing to make these, Pete. I know these are uh, a labor of love for you, but uh, they are important, and they they do help out the community. So so thank you so much, everybody.
1: Hey, if what we do saves just one person, I mean, to me, it's all worth it. So, uh, again, I really uh, appreciate you coming on. And for any of our listeners that want any additional information, uh, you can go to uh, safetytalkpodcast.com for past episodes, as well as safety information and news uh, safetytalkvideos.com will take you right to the YouTube channel. And, of course, visit childhoodpreparedness.org to learn more about Andy and the Institute, and, the Institute and see what it is that, that they do and how they can help your uh, your business, your organization. So, again, thanks for being on. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in. And uh, until next time, stay safe.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Safety Talk. You can listen to past episodes and get the latest safety news at our website, safetytalkpodcast.com. Be sure to visit our other websites for free safety checklists and infographics. You can also sign up for free online self-defense training, learn about college campus safety, and find out more about Pete and how he can help educate your school or business through speaking, workshops, seminars, and consulting. Subscribe to the Safety Talk podcast and never miss out on any new safety information. Until next time, stay safe.